Tonight's reading is from Matthew 25, verses 14 through to 30, I think it is. All right. Again, it, it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusts his wealth to them. To, to one, he gives five bags of gold, to another two, and to another one, to, sorry, to another one bag each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the, other, uh, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted with five bags of gold, so I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said. You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your, father's happiness, your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here is what, you, what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money in, on deposit with bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. G'day everyone, my name's Stu, and it's exciting to be on what we call a gap week this week, where we're going to spend some time on something that's not part of a particular series. But we, uh, in between series at Soul Revival, we look at different topics from time to time. And we also just are seeking to be encouraged to be generous Christians. Uh, once a year, we always have a generosity sermon or a generosity series. And tonight, I want to encourage us to be thankful and generous for what God has given us. Well, as we begin tonight, I want to um, ask you, have you heard of a guy called Thaddeus? Hands up if you've heard of Thad Thaddeus. Okay, that's interesting, isn't it? Would it surprise you to hear that he was one of the 12 disciples? Does it, it does surprise some people. Uh, if you are aware of Thaddeus, you would be aware of the fact that he's a little uh, obscure, to say the least, in the discipleship group. Like I want to say, in comparison to John, to Peter and to James, Thaddeus doesn't get a big mention. John is quite prominent in the Gospels. In fact, he's so prominent that when Jesus is dying on the cross, he looks down at John and he said, can you look after my mum for me, please? That's a big deal. 
We're not told where Thaddeus particularly was there, but he's probably with the rest of the disciples hiding at that moment. So John's this like luminary disciple. Peter, he gets it wrong sometimes, puts his foot in his mouth, but he's also a gun disciple, isn't he? He's the one who jumps out of the boat and runs out to Jesus when Jesus is walking on the water. And then when he realises that he's on the water too, he's like, he's, he does start to doubt, but, but he jumped out of the boat, like what a hero. Peter did deny Jesus, but Jesus reinstated Peter and said, on you I will build my church. What about Thaddeus? Well, Thaddeus is so obscure that in the four Gospels, he's actually called two different names. In the first, uh, in Matthew and um, uh, Mark, he's called Thaddeus. And in John and Luke, thank you. <laughs> you know, right before this sermon started, I'm like, oh, gee, I hope I remember all these uh, Gospels. There's four of them. Hope I remember them. <laughs> So that might make you feel a bit better if you've forgotten who Thaddeus was because the preacher can't even remember how many Gospels there were. So in the second two Gospels, according to my notes here in front of me, in the second two Gospels, he's called Judas. Now that's interesting. Why is he called Judas and Thaddeus? Well, we think Thaddeus is a nickname. Thaddeus actually means uh, childlike. It's a, it's a nickname. It's like he's so pure-hearted that he's like a child. It's not childlike as a divisive term, saying putting him down. It's more like saying he's so pure and he's such a lovely person. So presumably, Thaddeus is a lovely person. Judas, um, in, in uh, John, John actually says Judas not Iscariot because obviously Judas Iscariot was not um, the most delightful disciple. Uh, he was the one who betrayed Jesus. So I feel sorry for Thaddeus because he's probably spent the rest of his life going, not that one, no, 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 Ju hi, what's your name, Judas? Not, not that Judas. Weren't you one of the disciples? Yes, but not that one. Like, poor thing. Come on, man. He's in the discipleship group and he's got that one. Well, I think he liked the name Thaddeus, but I want to give him a new nickname today. Not only Thaddeus is a nickname, I want to call him Two Bags. Two Bags Thaddeus. And I'm going to tell you why. Because, you see, Thaddeus's contribution to the gospel might not be quite as exciting as five bags. Five bags John, five bags Peter, five bags James, some of the other luminary disciples. He's two bags. But you know what? I reckon Thaddeus was quite happy with two bags. But if you're sitting there thinking, Stu, that's a bit harsh, let me tell you that there's only one passage in the Bible that records what he has to say or any contribution that he actually gives. Now, obviously, I'm having a bit of fun with this. This is, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a top bloke, old Thaddeus. But old two bags, in John 14, 22, <laughs> then Judas, not Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the whole world? It's a very small contribution, but how valuable is that? Maybe if he hadn't have asked that question, the rest of the disciples wouldn't have understood the extreme, awesome breadth of the gospel. Because most of the disciples probably thought that Jesus was here to save them as the Jews. But here through Thaddeus's question, do you intend to show yourself to us or to the whole world? What a beautiful insight from the Holy Spirit Thaddeus has there. See, the point I want to make about Thaddeus, or two bags, is it's not actually how, how talented you are as a Christian or how much you have to give as a Christian. It's are you investing what God has given you to give? It's not about you comparing yourself to other Christians and going, geez, I wish I was like five bags over there. You can just imagine old Thaddeus looking at 
at John, you know, hanging out with Jesus, and he's thinking, oh, how good's John? He's so good, isn't he? I don't think he was thinking that. He's just like, how good's John? Five bags. And then five bags comes over to the fireplace to two bags. He says, how you going, two bags? And he's like, I'm going good, John. I've got my two bags. I'm going to use this, what I've been given. Now, I want to ask us the question tonight. Do you ever sometimes compare yourself to other Christians? Do you ever sometimes feel inadequate when you look at other Christians and what they achieve for the kingdom? Do you ever feel a little bit guilty that you're not actually that talented and you don't really have anything to give? Well, I felt like that sometimes. I want to tell you two quick stories. The first story is, back when I was a young person, our youth group was dying and our minister was moving on. His name was Jeff and we all love Jeff. And as Jeff was moving on, I was quite concerned, what's going to happen to our dying youth group if our assistant minister's not around anymore? Because he was moving on to work at another church. Anyway, I had a uh, chat with one of my friends, Alison, and Alison said, um, I'm moving on too. And I went, oh, okay, wow, this is a lot of change. I was feeling a bit, bit nervous about that. Anyway, Alison said, um, Jeff's going to ask you to be the youth leader. I said, oh, is he? I felt kind of good about that. He's asking me, is he? Thinks I might be able to do something about the youth group. That's pretty good. I'm a fallen human being. I'm a sinful person. And I was pretty proud to think that I was going to get asked to be the youth leader. And my friend Alison knew me very well. We'd grown up together. And she said, don't get too carried away. I said, why is that? And she said, well, Jeff was going to ask me. (laughs) In fact, he did ask me. And I said, no. And I said, I'm moving on. I said, oh, so I was second best. And she said, no, don't get too carried away. (laughs) I said to Jeff, why don't we ask Stuart to do it? And I'm thinking, why wasn't I in that conversation? (laughs) But anyway, she says to Jeff, why don't we ask Stuart to do it? He goes, oh, no, Stuart couldn't organise anything. He's hopeless. I'm like, right. And then I said, well, what happened next? And Alison said, well, well, I said, well, there's no one else to do it, Jeff. There's actually no other young adults left at the church. And he said, yeah, true. I might ask him to do it. So anyway, after the service that night, Jeff came up to me. Stuart, I have a really important question to ask you. I think you would be terrific at what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you be the youth leader? And I just said, yes, I'll do it. (laughs) But do you think I felt real good about that? So I want to say, not only am I giving Thaddeus the nickname of two bags, I want to say you're looking at two bags up here too. I'm not a five bags minister. I'm two bags stew. And what I want to say is that's okay. Because what I did with my request is I just did my best. I just did what I could. And God used that. And I want to encourage you tonight to have a think about how many bags are you? Three options here in the passage. You could be a five bag Christian a two-bag Christian, or a one-bag Christian. Now, a couple of years into being a youth leader, I didn't get able to shake that feeling of, I I think they call it imposter syndrome. Do you ever feel like that? Do you get imposter syndrome sometimes as a Christian? Wow, how could I possibly be a Christian? What am I doing for the kingdom? I'm a bit lazy, I'm a bit fearful. I feel like that, and I felt like that. Well, I got asked to speak at a conference and when I was speaking at this conference uh, down, in, um, down in South Australia, I was a bit chuffed. I got asked to go to a conference. 
And then I asked my friend who asked me down to speak at this conference, oh, so why have you asked me to come and speak at this conference? Do you think I have something really important to say? He goes, no, you're just really funny. So, <laughs> two bags. But again, there was link. You see what's happened? Like I started my ministry feeling inadequate, and I've got this imposter syndrome now. Even when I'm asked to go to a conference and speak at a conference, I'm still feeling inadequate, right? So I go there and I speak. And there was a guy there called Erwin McManus, and he was an amazing communicator. He was a man who started a ministry called Mosaic Church over in America, and it was to LA and to the people who are in the movie industry. And he almost became a chaplain to the movie industry in L.A. And he was so good at what he did that he actually got asked to be an extra on Band of Brothers Pacific. And he was one of the soldiers running around in the background. Now, I said to Erwin, I said, can I just share something with you? After a couple of days of seeing him, he just so impressed me what he said on stage and the kind of guy he was. We're out to lunch. And I said, can I just share with you, I feel really inadequate as a Christian leader. I just don't think I should be doing this. And he said, Stuart, let me tell you a quick story. And some of you have heard this before. It's really quick. He said, I go to America, I'm an American preacher, and you'll ask me out here, and I look like I'm some star preacher. Five bags. Let's call him five bags. But I'm not five bags. I'm, I'm actually just an ordinary guy. And I stand on stage with people like uh, luminaries that run churches of 15,000 people. Like, my church is just a small church. But I go out on stage, and in America, I might look like a big guy down here in Australia, but in America, I'm just this little guy. I'm not even that impressive. I'll tell you an example. He said, I went to a conference in Texas, and I was standing in the foyer, and I'm so unknown at this conference that about 15,000 people went to that I'm standing in the lobby of this hotel, and two Texan Christians came in with their bags, and they said, can you take these to the lift for us? Because he's Latino. And they thought he was one of the dudes that take the bags upstairs. And I said, Erwin, what did you do? He said, I took the bags upstairs. And then he said, to make it worse, I got upstairs and they gave me a tip. And I said, what did you do? He said, I took it. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, you know, though, there was a sinful part of me that when I went on stage, I'm thinking to myself, geez, I wish I could see those two people that just gave me a tip because I reckon their jaws will drop to the ground when they see me walk out on stage. But he said, you know, I don't worry about the fact that I'm not seen as the greatest preacher in America or the best preacher or the biggest church. I look around at the other guys who run these mega churches, and some of them are are a bit dodgy, but some of them are so talented and so amazing. If they wanted to be running in politics, they'd be the president of the United States. Or if they wanted to go into business, they'd be a big business person. If they were into social justice, they'd be solving huge social issues around the world. He said, I'm just glad they're on our side. And he said, Stuart... If you ever feel inferior or you don't think you're good enough, remember the parable of the bags. And I said, what's the parable of the bags? And I want to take you through that again tonight because I want to tell you what Erwin told me. And it set me free from feeling like an imposter Christian. And it gave me courage to actually use what I've got and not compare myself to other people. Let's have a look at Matthew 25, verse 16. The, uh, basically, the master goes away on holidays or on business and he leaves three servants with his wealth and he wants them to take care of it. He gives one guy, who is the most talented guy, five bags. The man who had received five bags of gold went and once and put the money to work and gained five more bags. There's five bags. Billy Graham, for example. Have you ever heard of Billy Graham? That man stood on stage in Australia 
in front of 100,000 people down in Melbourne. I don't know how many people he converted down there. Well, the Lord did, but what a ministry. Five bags. But the second guy, uh, verse 17, two bags. Two bags Thaddeus. Two bags Stew. And I'm going to suggest two bags Paul. And two bags Kim. And two bags Toby. I'm going to suggest tonight we're all two bags probably. Well, listen to two bags. What was the difference between two bags and five bags? Well, two bags. So also the one with two bags gained gold and he invested it and gained two more too in verse 17. But there's a warning in this passage, verse 18. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, let's just, before we move on, let's just ask the question. I've, I've planted the idea in your mind that you might actually be two bags. The reason I'm suggesting that is I'm just taking a bit of a hunch tonight and I don't know you and I don't know your mind and your heart. Only God knows, right? But the fact that we're here tonight, it's generally not socially acceptable to be a public Christian anymore. It's generally not cool to be that. We, we don't generally go to church anymore to get some kind of social status as people used to in the 60s in Australia. So I think most of us have a genuine interest in following Jesus most of us have faith in him tonight and some of us are searching into these things to think about whether we'll follow him or not. But there's probably very few of us in this room that are going to go and speak to 100,000 people or change the whole uh, direction of, of a country that's in poverty. Most of us have been given two bags. And I want to say that's actually excellent because the contents of the bag is what is valuable, not how many bags you get. See, the content of the bags of gold is the treasure of heaven. And if you have been trusted as a Christian with some of the treasure of heaven, isn't that delightful? Isn't that the most amazing privilege that you could ever imagine? That God chooses to partner with us to spread the gospel and to save people in the world. And the investment of the treasure in heaven means that not, a, not that we get rich ourselves, but others also get to enjoy the treasure of heaven too. Do you understand that? Because the treasure of heaven is faith. Faith is given to us that we have the ability to be forgiven for our sin and repent of our sin and turn to Christ and then start living for him instead of living for ourselves. We have an opportunity as Christians to put our faith in action. And so I want to say, does it matter if you have five bags or two bags? I think the big challenge is not to be one bag. Can you imagine that, dude? Oh, the master's just greedy. He just wants more treasure. He just wants more people to go to heaven. That's his treasure, actually. That's the treasure the master wants. More people in heaven. Oh, how greedy is he? Isn't it enough he's got us as followers? Why does he need more? You know what? I'm going to dig a hole and I'm going to put my bag in the ground and when he comes back, I'm just going to give him a dirty bag. There you go, mate. That's what you gave me. That's what he thinks of the master. There's a mix of fear and laziness in that attitude and a lack of vision and courage. Well, I want to encourage us that we are very likely carrying some of the treasure of heaven into church tonight. We carry it on the train when we go into the city. We do all sorts of things in our lives. And we are carrying the treasure of heaven. 
And before I get on to talk a little bit about the reward and actually what we can do with this treasure, I just want to give us a little bit of a warning. Because the warning is that this guy that is one bag that we might look at and judge is actually someone who is very similar to us in many ways. See, he lives in a world that teaches him to think about himself first all the time. Then when Jesus told the parable of the rich man, the rich young man, and the rich young man comes up to Jesus and he goes, I'll do anything. I'll, you know, I've, no, actually, I've done everything I need to get into heaven. I'm so godly. Like, what, what do I need to do more? Is there anything else I need to do? And Jesus says, go sell all your money and go and put it and give it to the poor. And the guy goes, oh, I can't do that. Why can't he do that? Because he lives in a world that says material possessions are the highest form of wealth, the highest form of security, and the best way to get pleasure for yourself. And it's what everyone is aiming to get, material things. And if you think that maybe we don't live in a culture like that, like the rich young ruler, who, by the way, walked away sad, he's, he's kind of one bag, to be honest. Hey, look, God, look at all the things I've done for you. Here's your bag back. He didn't actually want to let it cost him, did he? He didn't actually want to put any effort into following the Lord Jesus. He didn't want to put his faith into practice. But that's contrasted with Matthew the tax collector. When he became a Christian, he went and he gave everything back that he'd falsely stolen from people. And he gave them back twice as much. And presumably that means that the commentators think that Matthew the tax collector, also one of the five bags disciples, by the way, he was probably poor by the end of that he'd probably given everything away and he was walking along and all he had left was Jesus now if you're thinking to yourself I wouldn't be like the rich young ruler and I'm more like Matthew just consider for a second where we live we live in the suburbs of Sydney uh, I've been uh, a little bit missing in action recently you might have noticed I haven't been at many things recently because I've been trying to get a chapter for my PhD done and I've written 8,000 words in the last couple of weeks, so thanks to everyone who's been there helping me to do that. But in the last two weeks, I've spent the last two weeks looking into what are the effects of the suburbs on our faith. And I looked at a, a really interesting um, author, a guy called Patrick White. Has anybody read any Australian literature? Heard of Patrick White? Yeah, one, two, three people, maybe. Patrick White used to get taught in schools. I don't think he is anymore. Anyway, he wrote a book called The Tree of Man, and in The Tree of Man, he writes this polemic about the suburbs. And the reason I wanted to raise this really briefly tonight is he says in the book something quite scathing of suburban life. I think we tend to think suburban life is fairly morally neutral. And there is aspects of it that is morally neutral. But he, uh, he Patrick White, who's not a Christian, actually says that the problem with suburbia is that it's colonising modernity on us, colonising modernity. So you know when a colonial power goes in and controls another people's country? Well, he argues that the suburbs colonise us with modern ideas, which are materialistic. And he argues that people in the suburbs um, are colonialised into being individualistic and consumeristic. Now, I don't want to give you too much to think about tonight. You're all starting to think, Shh, do where are we going here this is crazy i just want to make the simple comment the rich young ruler probably wasn't as rich as you that's the comment i want to make the other comment i want to make is i don't think matthew the tax collector was as rich as you and i 
living in Australia. But when we live in the suburbs, Patrick White says we don't think we're rich. We actually think there are people richer than us. And he says that, <laughs> he's a bit harsh actually, he says, and apologies to people online who don't live in suburbs who've tuned out right now, and also people who don't live in the Sutherland Shire who don't know what this is going to mean that I'm just going to explain. He says, suburbia smells like a lantana bush and a lantana bush that smells like a cat. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Two invasive species in Australia, lantana and cat. He says suburbia is like that. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, geez, this is a bit heavy, Stu. I'm, I've lived in a suburb for 50 years. I love the suburbs, right? But I do know they have an influence in the way I think, and the culture I breathe is materialism. I might not go to Miranda Fair every day, but almost every time I drive around the Shire, there is the cathedral to modernism right there in the middle of the Shire. And I think you look around at people carrying their devices, that's the new Bible. Once upon a time, people would carry Bibles around, and that set their values. Now these things do. You sit on a train and everyone's looking at their glowing device. You, you walk down the road at the bus stop and people looking at their glowing device. People in cafes talking to each other, they're looking at their glowing devices. It's got to have some impact on our faith, doesn't it? Because what's the stuff coming through this device? Patrick White says our technology makes us consumeristic and greedy and we're always looking for more. And it disconnects us. This is the scary bit. Patrick White says suburbia disconnects us from the natural environment and it disconnects us from each other. And the problem with suburbia is we stop caring about other people's problems and we just concentrate on our own problems. Rich young ruler. One bag. So I wanted to put that cautionary thought there because I think in the Shire, this is what I'm going to argue in my PhD anyway, I think sometimes we want to be suburban Christians. We want to be rich and saved. We want to be thinking that somehow we can be the rich young ruler who has it all and still follows Jesus. But Jesus said to him, it's more likely for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get into heaven. There is a sense here in this passage that if we have the treasure of heaven in two bags, we can't hold two things at the same time. So if you've got one bag, you can hold the treasure of heaven in one hand and you can hold something else in the other. You can have a foot in the materialistic world and be chasing after the same things everybody else is, career, money, prestige, happiness, whatever it is that you chase. And Jesus. But that's like burying the treasure of heaven. What I love about the two bags and the five bags, four or five bags, he's going like this one's. Trying to, he's just trying to carry everything. But I love two bags because he's got both his hands full of the treasure of heaven. She has both her hands full of the treasure of heaven. And I think the attitude of the heart needs to be that we love Jesus and his kingdom so much that we're willing to give up everything and let it cost us for the sake of the kingdom. And, and why do we do that? Well, it's, it's a kind of form of countercultural Christianity, I'd like to argue that we don't have to be individualistic, we can be more communal. We can actually care about ourselves and each other and other people that we don't even know. And we can also be less consumeristic and not need everything else that everybody has in this world. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 16. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and come follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. 
What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, for Jesus, it's a zero-sum game. It's him as everything, and everything else in the world becomes dim. There used to be a lovely old hymn about that, or a song. I don't know how it goes, because I can never remember songs. It's hard enough to remember how many Gospels there were earlier on. But some of you might want to talk about that afterwards. See, the pressure on us in the suburbs is to be a suburban Christian. My challenge tonight is two bags, you are a Christian, not a suburban Christian. You don't need the same things that everybody else needs. Everyone around us is saying, you need to have all the stuff I have. As a parent, there was pressure on me to get my kids to do all the same stuff that everybody else did. But at a certain point, Lou and I turned around and go, why are we doing all this stuff? Why are we rushing around? Why are we driving people around five nights a week to things that are good but exhausting? (laughs) We're too exhausted to read our Bibles. We're too exhausted to pray. We're too busy to go to church. Church attendances in the Anglican church are are going down all the time. It's now people are considered a regular churchgoer if they go once a month to church. And most churches only have a one-hour expression once a month. Suburban Christianity, I call that. Because people are saying, I'm happy to come to church as long as I can have something else in my other hand. But the danger is, is that being one bag. There is a cost of living crisis, but there's also a cost of faith crisis. The cost of living crisis is on our TVs and our screens every single day and we know a lot about it and we feel the pinch of a tightening wallet. But do we lament the cost of faith crisis in a church that's not willing to let the faith cost it? Are we only giving out of our abundance to Jesus or are we like Matthew, Jesus, give me those two bags? And Jesus says that the master will return And that's the motivation for this. If you're sitting here thinking, hey, Stu, really, why do I even want to be two bags? I'd be quite happy being one bag. I mean, I told you about my neighbour I had down at Guy one time who said, Stu, I'm not going to be in the first 11 in heaven, but I'm sure I'll make the reserve bench. What he was saying is, I'm happy to go to heaven to be with God as long as it doesn't cost me anything. But it does cost Because the master comes back and in verse 21 he says to five bags, he says, Good and faithful servant, you've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Now look at this verse. Come and share in the master's happiness. You can only gain happiness if it costs you. But our suburban voice says it's got to be easy to be a Christian or don't bother. Don't, Don't get too carried away. Don't become too churchy. Don't, don't do too much ministry because the church will take advantage of you. Hold back a little bit. But put that aside for a second because when the master speaks to two bags, he says the same thing. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The reward for both the guys with five bags and two bags is exactly the same. Thaddeus gets the same reward as Peter and John and James. Billy Graham gets the same reward as you and me. If we are faithful with the small things God gives us, it's an extension of the fact that we are actually putting our faith into practice. But what does he say? Here's here's the one bagger. Verse 24 to 25. Then the man who had received one gold came up to the master. He said, 
oh, you're a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown and gathering where you do not scatter seed. He sounds like an Australian. I actually think this guy's an Australian. He's that flaming cynical about leadership. He's like, oh, as if you really care about me. You don't care about me. That's what he's saying. How do you care about me? What, what was in this for me? All you wanted me to do is invest your money. In fact, I was so afraid of you because you're so cruel and so nasty and so horrible. See what he's doing? I'm a victim. How could I possibly serve you when my life's so hard? Do you really expect me to put any effort into your kingdom and your treasure when I'm only just surviving myself? It's a cost of living crisis, you know. Well, this guy has a cost of faith crisis. He was afraid and he went and he hid the gold. Now the master sees right through the excuses. And he says, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that the harvest I have not, uh, was not sown in what I uh, gather I haven't scattered the seed. Well then, you should have just put the money in the bank. Put it in a deposit with the bankers. And then when I returned, at least I would have got my money back with interest. That's not hard. He didn't even bother doing that. Do you ever get to a point, sometimes, this is my life, sometimes I'm like, I feel like I'm a hopeless Christian, and then sometimes I think I'm a lazy Christian. I'm like, I'm just too tired, life's too hard. I think that's sin, the sinful nature. You know, Paul says in, in Galatians chapter 5 that the sinful nature is at war with the spiritual nature. Why do we find it so hard to pray? Not because we don't have enough time, but we don't want to, because we're sinners. Why do we find it so hard to go to church? Because we don't want to, because we're sinners. Why do we find it so hard to look after the poor or even care about them? Because we're sinners. And we think in the suburban context we're in that we're only just keeping our head above water and everything on the TV tells us that's the fact. <gasps> Your mortgage is going up. Yep, it is. Childcare's more expensive. Yes, it is. Coffee costs more. Yep. Going out to dinner costs more? It does. But have you ever gone on some websites to have a look at what's happening to the poor in the world? What they're struggling with? They can't even drink their water? And if you think that's just overseas, in Brewarana, they can't even drink their water because the cotton farmers have come along and they've poisoned all the waterways and they can't drink the water anymore. Can you imagine how angry we would be in the Sutherland Shire if we turned the tap on and, and it smelt? and it was dirty, and you couldn't drink it, and you had to bring bottled water into your house every day. You know how many people around the world live like that? But our cost of living is going up. Maybe once the cost of living stops going up and we get a more affordable lifestyle and we're not quite as busy, then we can give to Jesus. That's burying our treasure. If we have faith and we hold on to the treasure with both hands, we'll find a way to invest what God has given us in the midst of the ups and downs of the life we have. But not so one bag. So take the bag of gold off him and give it to the one who has ten bags. There's poor old five bags. He's like, I didn't even need five. I was happy with two. Now you give me ten, man. Like, I've hardly been able to carry this. I feel sorry for, for ten baggers, actually. But two bags, we get double two. And we go from two to four, which isn't far off five, is it? So when I listened to Erwin McManus, he said to me, do you feel jealous that I might be a five-bagger and you're a two-bagger? Soon you'll be a four-bagger. It's not bad, is it? And I think to myself, that's pretty good. Isn't it exciting when your heart starts to aspire for the kingdom and you want to grow in that treasure 
A little spark went off in me when I heard that. All of a sudden, in an instant, I didn't really care about comparing myself to Irwin and I didn't feel as lazy. And the next day I went on stage, I wasn't terrified of doing a bad talk or not being as good as Irwin or not being as successful. I just thought, here comes two bags. And this is what I've got and this is all I can give you. Because God hasn't given me anything more to give. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have and think about how you can share that. It's liberating. It's freeing. You don't have to compare yourself to other people in the church. Faith at work in James chapter, chapter 2 verse 26 is as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith without deeds is dead. The master's going to come home and he's going to call us to account with what he's given you. I might be wrong. Fiona Francisconi might actually be five-bagger. That, that is a possibility. She'll hate me saying that. And I think, I think Steve's maybe seven-bagger. So I don't know how he's still skating the way he does at 50-whatever he is. It's unbelievable. It's actually supernatural. But we might look at people who do more than us and go, I'll just be satisfied with doing nothing because they're doing it all. But that's not what we've been called to do. Have you ever thought of this? If we all combine our bags tonight, how many bags are in the room? Whether I'm a five-bagger or a two-bagger, I can't multiply myself as much as we can multiply ourselves. Did you hear that? We can multiply ourselves more. If we, if I, I won't do it, but if I got us all to stand up now and all put our hands forward and we count how many hands are in the room, I'm not going to do that, but then we'll put that down on the attendances as the official record, double what's actually here. <laughs> <laughs> but if we did that, we go to ourselves, oh my gosh, we have something like 250 bags in this room. So I think there's at least 100 of us here tonight. So I multiplied it by 50, or added 50. The reason Jesus, look, let's forget the mass. The reason Jesus brings us into the world together is we can do more together. <laughs> Briefly to finish, one last story. Isaac Gordon said to me one day, he said, Stuart, would you come up to Brewarrina to come and see where my people live in Brewarrina, to see how our Aboriginal people live? And I thought to myself when I met Isaac, not I feel like a second-class Christian, and I wasn't even lazy. It was the last thing I want to share with us that I think stops us investing our bags for the kingdom. It was, I don't think I can make a difference. Do you ever have that opinion? What can I do? Well, by simply going up to Brewarrina, I started a 20-year journey with Aboriginal people that has been phenomenal for me and for my friends, and Isaac keeps telling me that we're making a bit of a difference. Now, have we closed the gap by doing the things we've done over the last 20 years? No, but we bought a truck. Isaac said, I, did, I was going to throw it up on the screen, but I don't know how to use technology. But we, we've been giving the, 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 the cash that Solis has been giving, just the little we've been giving, they've saved up and some other people have contributed and they've bought a $30,000 truck. And do you know what they're going to do with the truck? They're going to put a PA on it and they're going to drive around Australia to outlying Aboriginal towns all over Australia to preach the gospel. That's something. It's not nothing. And... And the fact that we can actually make some difference is what I'm saying today. You can make a difference as an individual. 
There's a, there's a theologian called Miroslav Volf, and he says the problem with, with middle-class people, the kind of people who live in suburbs, is we only look to go to church with middle-class people. That's part of the suburban problem. But when we get to know people who aren't middle-class, we realise we can actually do with them what I was talking about that we can do together. They've got so many bags. I reckon Isaac is actually a five-bagger, just putting it out there. Isaac Gordon is, is a flip... I'm going to cry, because Isaac is the Billy Graham of northwestern New South Wales. That's who he is. He's never been paid a cent in his life to be a pastor. He's an itinerant preacher. He's always worked as hard as he could with him and his family to support his family, and he's never been paid to be a preacher. And yet, he's held together probably 16 towns out in western New South Wales through preaching the gospel. Helping on council, he's got on council, and do you know what he did when he got on council? He forced the council to build a road between Gadooga and Brewarrina. Why did he do that? Just so he could get there quicker on a tar road? No, so that 50 young people from Brewarrina could get jobs. And he asked a guy to come, and uh, is an Italian bloke from Melbourne who came, the engineer. He, Isaac picked him, and the Italian engineer came out and thought to himself, I know all these guys... Uh, have different kind of lifestyle than me, and some of them take drugs. So in the first year, if they take drugs, I'm not going to sack them. I'm just going to tell them to go home sober up. But in the second year, I'm going to say, let's get off the drugs. And that's what he did. And the 50 or so people that were on that job, going from Kaduga to Brewarrina, not only got a job and putting um, money on the table for their families, men and women, but they were also all getting off drugs because they were actually excited about life again. And it was the kingdom mindset of Isaac that actually had that flow-on effect into that beautiful social justice outcome as well. But if we're just focused on the cost of living crisis, we're going to think about ourselves. If we focus on the cost of faith crisis, we might be able to encourage one another to go deeper into Jesus because in Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. That is the master's happiness that Jesus is talking about in the parable. I would rather share in that than be rich in this world. And what did Thaddeus say in John 14:22? He said, "But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the whole world?" And I apologize if I cry right now. Because Thaddeus knows exactly what the suburban problem is. We we think like the Jews that Jesus has come to us and he's helping me and my family just get through life. That's not what he's come for. I don't want to burst your bubble, but he's not here to help you to get through your life. He's not your little genie that can be in a bottle. He said, pick up your cross and come follow me. He said to the rich young ruler, sell everything you have, give to the poor and then come follow me. And he's saying to suburban people in the Sutherland Shire, your life isn't about you. It's about me. You live your life for me. Because I made you. And you, funnily enough, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll be happy. You'll enter into the Father's happiness. Do you note that? It's not like, oh, you'll be so sad and struggling and, oh, it's so hard being a Christian. You'll find your heart glowing as you start not caring about things of this world, but other things. Now, how has this got anything to do with generosity? I deliberately didn't say much about it in the sermon, 
because I want to leave the application of this to you, actually. I'd love for some of us to get onto an Open Doors website and start giving to Open Doors tonight. I'd love for some of us to go to Trudy and Anthony and saying, you're going to Ethiopia, you're going to go and be with poor people, how can we support you and help you? I'd love for some of you to go, how can we give some coin out to Aboriginal communities? Can we help there? Can we help some refugees? Because see, our church doesn't have to do everything, but we can do lots of things as well as what we do as a church. Because we have two bags. Maybe invest one bag in the church and invest another thing somewhere else as well. This sermon isn't about us trying to raise money for the church. It's about raising our eyes to the glory of heaven. And even if none of us give any of our time or money to Sorrel Bible Church, I don't really care. But I will put a couple of things in front of you. There has been, um, I think, someone who's anonymous, who's a bit of a five-bagger, who over the last five years has been donating between sixty, seventy, and $80,000 a year, once a year. I don't know who that person is. And we have thanked them a couple of times, but I'm sure because they're anonymous, they actually don't want to get thanked. That person, for whatever reason, has given 10 grand this year. And when I was talking to my dad about that, he says, do you know what's happened over the last five years of that gift? It's meant that we've been able to put on all our one-day and two-day-a-week staff, our digital, our youth, our Friday night gathering, our, all these things have come from that one person. And rather than Dad saying, oh, isn't that a shame, now we don't have the money, Dad said, why don't we let that person lead us? That's obviously cost someone to do that. Why don't we let it cost us to catch that up? But instead of one of us saying, yeah, I'll catch the 60 grand up, I reckon we can do it. I'm not trying to say this to motivate us, and if no one gets involved, it's up to us how many staff we have, to be honest. Like, it, it's not me trying to talk you into it. It's about us as a family working out what we want to do. But even if we do solve that issue and we do get that 60 grand, let's not just think of ourselves. Let's also keep thinking about Rwanda as well and Ethiopia and Papua New Guinea and all the other places around the world who really need us and do both. We've got two bags. We don't just have one Soul Revival bag. We've got one Soul Revival bag and let's invest it in something else as well. My niece has decided to devote her life to um, helping uh, social justice causes with her law degree. And she knows that she's not going to get as much money doing law in that way, but she's doing it. And I know there's some other brothers and sisters around this room that are doing similar things. It's not just giving of money, it's giving of our heart and using our faith and putting it into practice. However, the exciting thing is, if we can get that 60 grand this year, then we can start working on the future. And we can also be thinking of the future of this church, and that's why we've presented down the track, we're going to you know, open up this building fund. We've, we've opened it and we've talked about it, but we're going to need to see if we can get somewhere more than just a rental place, if that's what God wants us to do. All these things are the conversations we can have when we have two bags. And the reason I wanted to say that tonight is even if you don't feel convicted about it, uh, please don't feel like you have to be. Because really, at the end of the day, what's beautiful about this parable is this issue is between you and God. But be very careful that you claim to have faith and do nothing with it. Don't bury what God has given you. You can be involved in this community as we help the poor and we reach out to people who are lost. And you can also help the poor and reach out to people who are lost in ways that you feel personally convicted as well. And remember Thaddeus. I'm going to give you the verse. John 14, 22. It's the only time he speaks in the whole Bible, but it's my verse for this year. 
I'm using this as my personal devotional verse every day. But Lord, why did you intend to show yourself just to us and not the whole world? In other words, for me to know that Jesus didn't come into this world so I could have a comfortable life. He came to call me to save me and love me and call me to partner with him as he continues to share it around. So what do you reckon? How many bags? I reckon after an extra long sermon that wandered a bit, definitely not five. (laughs) But I'm hoping, it's between me and God, isn't it? But I'm hoping I've just got two. And I know that there's many of you here today who would love the opportunity to pray right now and just refocus after Jesus has spoken to us, not Stuart, after the Holy Spirit has convicted us to use what we have for his kingdom. So will you join with me in prayer as we finish tonight? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for tonight and we thank you for the opportunity to remember that we can invest what you have given us in the kingdom for your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.